0: want to talk? Well, first of all, it's good to be back. Good to be back. And uh, we had a good time. So, I want to talk to you about the gospel reading this morning. And uh, I came up from Bible study, by the way. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> how hard it was raining. Holy mackerel. But you're here, so you, you didn't get turned away because it was wet. I appreciate that. Big idea today is the results of The hearing of the gospel always depends on the condition of the soil, not the skill of the sower. The condition of the soil, not the skill of the sower. Uh, This is Matthew 13. There's actually seven parables in Matthew 13. Jesus goes down to explain two of them. A parable, the Greek word means to lay alongside. So you're having something you're trying to explain, and you'll lay something alongside of it, like a story or an illustration to make this come clear. So they live in an agrarian society back in those days, and I'll tell you the truth, uh, it's still kind of an agrarian society. Israel supplies Europe with most of its fruit and vegetables. I don't know if you know that, but it's true. And if you've been there, you'll see lush fields and orchards everywhere you go. <clears throat> so Jesus is out on the boat, and uh, he probably sees somebody sowing some seed, and he begins to tell the story three elements to this story there's a sower there's a seed and there's soil the sower is the one who is sowing the seed of God's word it could be Christ he did that in his whole ministry um the apostles especially after uh, Jesus ascended they went they they did their thing peter james john and all the rest then paul he's doing his missionary journeys you know he's all over the place Uh, planting churches and spreading the word, preaching the gospel, having people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, It's me. Uh, I preach sermons, but you don't have to be someone who preaches sermons to be a sower of the seed, okay? Um, When we live out a life uh, by faith, as a a spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ, hopefully what we're doing is we're sowing seeds into the lives of the people in which we encounter Parents sow seeds into their children. Grandparents sow seeds into their grandchildren. Bosses can sow seeds into the employees. Um, When I was at the Naval Academy, uh, called Officers Christian Fellowship, and about 10% of the brigade of midshipmen belonged to this, and it was a very strong Christian evangelical organization. We had about 400 midshipmen who belonged to it, and I was the, the battalion leader of it. And it was a wonderful experience for me. And then when I, my last tour in the Navy, uh, before I went to seminary, I was the executive officer for the Navy unit at the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana and a Marine major. And I led a Bible study for the Navy, the Air Force, and the Army uh, members of the different ROTC units. Uh, We didn't have any special standing to do it. We just did it. I remember... um, I was an executive officer of a ship, and I had come to faith recently, and we went up, i go aboard the ship, and I, I got a couple of guys together, and I said, well, you know, we ought to have a Bible study. And I had never been in a Bible study. I didn't really know what that was, so we decided to tackle something easy, so we did Revelation, <laughs> and we knocked it out in about two weeks. I had a ways to go. (laughs) Anyway. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Proclaiming the gospel um, of Jesus Christ. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. God's people need to have a biblical worldview. You either have a biblical worldview or you have an atheist worldview. You can call it a secular worldview. You can call it a cultural worldview. You can call it a scientific worldview, but it's a worldview without God. A biblical worldview includes God. A non-biblical worldview excludes God. So we want to be people who have a biblical worldview. This gives us the answer to the questions that we're asking. This tells us how to live. It tells us how to relate to God, to other people, to ourselves. It tells us how to operate in a very productive, godly way in society, right? It gives us God's answers to questions. If somebody asked me, what's your opinion about multiple genders, I would say, I don't have an opinion about multiple genders. I have God's answer. God made them male and female. That's it. What's your opinion about marriage? What is marriage? I don't have an opinion about marriage. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. The institution of marriage was created by God to be lifelong, faithful, monogamous, and heterosexual. That's marriage. I don't have an opinion about that. I go to God's Word to find out what the heck it is. That's a biblical worldview. These are the seeds that we're sowing. And they don't mean to be restrictive. These are very freeing. God's Word is very freeing. It it helps us to see reality in life the way it really is. And when we do that, we can be uh, more uh, at peace, productive, helpful with other people. We're not being spun up and, and drawn off course by all these different things that are coming out of various institutions, agencies, universities, whatever it might be. We're not being swept up by the culture because we have God's Word. Soil. Soil is the heart, it's the condition of the heart. The soil is our understanding that leads to personal response and action. And in this uh, parable, there are four kinds of soil there's hard soil, there's rocky soil, there's thorny soil, and there is good soil. The hard soil, he talks about a path. And through the field, there would be a path where the donkey would, would walk. And it was just a really hard area, about three feet wide. And if seed fell on it, it couldn't penetrate. It couldn't get down to soil. So the birds would come and eat it. And Jesus says later, Satan comes and snatches it away. Um, it's an unresponsive heart. It's a heart that's really never softened by conviction, repentance, self-searching, and it grows callous. This is not a new phenomenon in Jeremiah, we read in Jeremiah seven, the Lord says, From the day that your fathers came out uh, of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistent I've been persistent I'm sorry, I've persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to that day after to them, day after day. Yet They did not listen. They did not listen. uh... (laughs) No. There's a word there. They did not incline their ear. They stiffened their necks. They did worse than their fathers. This is how people in the Old Testament were reacting to the prophets of God. Hard hearts, impenetrable. The word couldn't get through. Satan snatches it away. I don't know whether it's doubt or prejudice or stubbornness. Sometimes it's procrastination. Um, Maybe it's some of your kids. The enemy has a way of sort of distracting you from even thinking about it. C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Screwtape Letters, He describes a man who goes into the British Museum and sits down to read certain books that are there, something he reads suggests to him a thought about God, and he is inspired to think of him. For a moment, it looks as though he is really going to think this idea through, but then Screwtape manages to divert him with the thought that it's time for lunch and that he would be in much better shape to tackle this important subject after he has eaten, Screwtape goes on to say. Once he was in the street, the battle was over. I showed him a newsboy shouting the midday paper and a number 73 bus going past. And before he reaches the bottom of the steps, I had gotten uh, into him an unalterable conviction that whatever odd ideas might come into a man's head when he was shut up alone with his books, a healthy dose of real life, by which he meant the bus and the newsboy, was enough to show him that all that sort of thing just couldn't be true. That is the kind of soil Jesus is talking about. The devil takes care of him, brainwashes him. The thought is snatched away if it is not dealt with and it never returns again. Now it's not always that way. I'll tell you a story I've told you before but when I was, was a, a seminarian, I do a thing called clinical pastoral education. It's 10 weeks in a hospital, you're like a chaplain. I was at West Penn Hospital in Pittsburgh And you'd go see people. They'd ask you to go see people and talk with them and pray with them. And they asked me to go see a woman named Julia. You've heard this before, some of you. But it seems appropriate. Um, And she was a woman in her mid-80s. She was not doing well. She was born and raised in Ireland and had come to the States. And I started to talk with her. And as I would do normally, I would say, I would ask, are your spiritual bags packed? And she wanted to know what that meant. And so I explained what that meant, and I shared the gospel with her. And she looked at me, and she said, could this be true for me? I said, oh, Julia, it is true for you. And she accepted Christ and died the next day. I tell you that to say that she grew up in church but never heard the gospel. Kathy grew up in church and never heard the gospel. I grew up in church and and never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. She grew up and never heard it, and here was the day before she died, she heard it. Never give up, it's never too late. Never give up. Then we have people who have friends, that, uh, friends of ours in the church who have friends that are just wonderful people. They're loving, they're kind, they're generous, but have no interest in the things of God. They just, they don't. You witness, you try, you and it just doesn't penetrate. They even came the night that Keith Barron was here and I saw Keith pray for them and I thought, they're going to have a breakthrough. Nothing. But they still continue to pray for them that someday their heart might open, never give up. The rocky soil, this is shallow soil, there would be a lime rock shelf Below the surface, you'd have really fertile soil, maybe this far down, and the roots would start to go down, and it would be wonderful. Uh, but it would hit that lime rock, and, and it just didn't work, and it would die out. They can't go deep. But at first, it's a really emotional response. It's in, it's kind of an impulsive heart. These are people in the in the thing that we're talking about today. Um, they, maybe they go to Asbury and there's a wonderful awakening. Well, then they found something. There's something in Melbourne. And then there's something in Tallahassee. Then there's something in Pensacola. And now there's something over here. Where are we, where is, where are we going next? They're all excited. But it just burns out because it's not real. They're in it for the moment, for the emotion. But there's nothing taking root in their lives because of all of this. The, uh, the Billy Graham crusades I've mentioned before. Uh, they do statistics on this. My mom, uh, Jean, when she was in Massachusetts, Billy Graham came to do a crusade in Springfield, Massachusetts, and they would have groups that would meet with people who came forward to give their lives to Christ, and they would meet afterward. And she was part of a group that was receiving people. So if a 1,000 people came forward at a crusade to receive Christ about a year later, 100 would still be active in their faith. About a 10%. And... There was, it was interesting when after he left, uh, she had a group that was coming and two of the ones that had given their lives to Christ at the Billy Graham crusade were nuns. And they said, she said, they were very, very interesting people because she had, a, they had a whole nother understanding of faith after that crusade. It was, it was interesting. Though, well, first of all, you think it's great, um, but they didn't count the cost. Whether it's affliction or persecution due to the word makes them fall away. Maybe it's relationships that they're afraid of losing or family members they're afraid of offending. Maybe it's something at work or in their job or with their friends. Something comes up and makes it more difficult for them to persist in the development and expression of their faith. And so they just kind of back away and nothing more happens. They say, "I I didn't sign up for this. It's too hard. Or maybe they have an opportunity but they say no, I look back a couple of years ago during Pride Month when the Tampa Bay Rays, they wanted all the players to wear that LGBT patch on their uniform. And five players said, no, I can't do that, my faith doesn't let me do that. I don't hate anybody, I just can't wear it. Well, you would have thought they were part of the Holocaust. And I wonder how many other players felt the way they did, believed the way those five did, but said. I'm just going to put it on my uniform. I don't need the hassle. I don't need the trouble that's going to come with this if I don't do it. So they just back away from doing the right thing, doing the godly thing. Sometimes there is a price to pay for standing up for the truth. And I think more and more in our society today, we're going to have opportunities to stand up for a biblical understanding of a particular situation. Will we be willing to do that? Will we we'll be willing to stand up for what's right, even if we're the only one standing? Um, then I wanted to read you this. I do need glasses for this. This is really small print. Kathy and I have been, we read um, devotionals every day. This was actually yesterday. This is the 16th century England. You, don't, you didn't want to be a Protestant. It was back and forth. When Henry VIII was the king, you could be either. It, w- it was fine. Well, then his, uh, his son Edward took the throne, and then the Protestants were in and the Catholics were out. And then he didn't last long. He died young, and Mary, his sister, c- took over, Mary Tudor, and she was known as Bloody Mary. So the Protestants were out and the Catholics were in, and God help you if you were a Protestant. So there's this young guy, and he was raised up a Catholic, um, and he's uh, back and forth, but finally ends up as a Protestant. Realizing he could no longer teach at Oxford because he resigned and became the schoolmaster, he became the schoolmaster of a grammar school in the town of Reading. Roman Catholics of the town, suspecting he might have become a Protestant, entered his study and found documents he had written against the Catholic Church. They threatened to expose him if he would not leave Reading. Leave he did, not being able to take with him his belongings uh, or his last testament for his work, uh, check for his work. He returned home to his mother to request the funds the father had left him in his will. His mother told him, thy father bequeathed not for heretics. The mother was Catholic and now he's a Protestant. Returning to Reading to try to reclaim his belongings, he was arrested Uh, July 15, 1556, Julius Palmer was condemned to death for his faith. The sheriff gave him one last chance to recant, telling him that if he did, the sheriff would see that he had financial support for life. He even offered to find Palmer a wife. Palmer very graciously declined, saying that he had already given up uh, those positions for Christ's sake and was now willing to give up his life. The next day at 5 p.m., Palmer and two other martyrs were brought to the place of execution. The three dropped to their knees, and Palmer prayed. Rather than take the easy way out, the, uh, what the sheriff had offered to him. Here we go. I'll make sure that you're set up for life financially, and I'll even find you a wife. He said, nope, no thank you. So, I I tell you that story to say that there are people who stick with it, who are faithful right to the end. And martyrs are in our history for a reason. Thorny soil, thorns and weeds that choke the seeds. This is the preoccupied heart. There's too much going on in my life, you know, I don't have time. It's worldly cares get in the way. They want the benefit of the gospel, but not enough to repent for the world. Double minded. Trying to walk on both sides. You can't walk with one foot and one side in the world and one side in, in, with God. You've got to have both feet with God. Okay? When you have both feet on God's side of the pavement, you'll be fine. If you try to walk with one on one and one on the other, it never works. This soil is bounded by by work on the north, family on the south, taxes on the east, and death on the west. There's always something to take me away from the word of God, to distract me from what God has called me to do. See, if I'm firmly grounded in God's word, then family's no problem, taxes are no problem, death is no problem, and work is no problem. You know, I'll have to deal with issues. It's not that everything's going to work out wonderfully the way I want it, but these aren't the things that are going to distract me from my relationship with God if I've got good soil in my heart. And then comes the good soil. Deep, it's fertile, it's well prepared. Heart bears fruit, fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are evident in the life of a believer. It comes when we're yielded to the Lordship of Christ. Someone with um, a heart like that is Tim Ballard. Tim Ballard was an agent for Homeland Security. Um, He's also um, the primary character in a movie called Sound of Freedom. Has anybody seen The Sound of Freedom? If you get a chance, please go see it. This is a movie that has to do with child sex trafficking may not sound like something you might want to go see, but I think everybody needs to be aware of what's happening. This movie was made five years ago. Five years ago. Um, Disney had it and then finally sold it to Angel Studios that have also come out with The Chosen and the God Jesus Revolution. I mentioned this this morning in the first service, and a couple of people came out and they said, they're making it difficult for you to enjoy and experience this movie. One place they went, in o- here in Ocala, they said it was so low you could hardly hear it. Another place, somebody said they turned off the air conditioning during the movie. Interesting. The press is totally rejecting the premise of the movie as if this stuff isn't happening. But I want to tell you this story about good soil. Tim Ballard, he's in Columbia and he's trying to rescue these children. Uh, He works for HHS, his boss calls him and said, you need to come home now, this is going nowhere, we're not paying for this, come home. He was within 10 months of retirement and his federal pension. His wife is home with six children He's in one of the most dangerous situations you can imagine. He calls his wife. He said, they want me to quit. They want me me to come home. Or if I stay, uh, they'll fire me. I'll lose my pension. And what I'm about to do is extremely dangerous. I could die. His wife says, one day... You will stand before your maker. And you can either say, I quit this job that I was working on in Columbia to save my pension. Or you can say, I lost my pension in order to attempt to save the lives of these children. Go save the children. This is his wife. I mean, I get chills when I think about it. <coughs> so he goes and he does it. And it works. And every time I've seen him interviewed about the film, his heart and his Christ-likeness just comes through the whole time. It really does. This is a man. This is a family. This is his wife with fertile, deep soil producing 30, 60, 80, 100 fold because the effect of this is going to have an amazing impact on the world. So there's a lot of things confronting us in the context of fertile soil. we got spiritual warfare is everywhere around us. Be careful of division, division, isolation, separation versus peace, clarity, and unity. Satan hates what's going on at this church. Satan hates what's going on at that school. But let me tell you something that just, uh, I I talked to Thomas Gertz last week. Is Thomas here? No. So, yeah, he let me know that in the capital campaign, and this is really going to make Satan squirm, through a trust, they don't know who did this. The school for the capital campaign is receiving a gift of $550,000. That brings us to about one point six or seven million moving forward. And I think you know now we gotta get we gotta get prices and renderings and all this kind of stuff and permits, but we're moving in the right direction. This is God saying, You're on the right track. I like what you're doing, keep up the good work. I'm I'm here for you. Okay. I did call the person that gave the seven hundred thousand. It wasn't him. But he said, oh, that's great. He says, I'm working on something. Should come to fruition in the spring or early summer. I went, I like it when you say things like that. But see, this is the sort of thing. We're doing what God wants us to do. God is blessing it. Now, so just watch out. Look out for division. Look out for problems. You know, we're going to have K3 and K4 over here in the youth building. Is that going to be a problem? The enemy wants it to be a problem. It doesn't have to be a problem. But if we're aware of that, it's not going to be a problem. We'll work through it. We'll be together. You know, in your own lives, when things are going well and you're being faithful, watch out. Be aware. A lot of unrest in our country. I remember walking on the beach a long time ago and God said, More people will be faithful to me than unfaithful. More, more people will be unfaithful to me than faithful because being faithful to me will cost to um, I loved that song. And as an example of that, as I, as I end, when a man sows the seed of the Word, he does not know what, he's, what he is doing or what effect the seed is having. H.L. Gee tells this story. In the church where he worshipped, there was a lonely old man named Thomas. He had outlived all of his friends and hardly anyone knew him. When Thomas died, Gee had the feeling that there would be no one to go to the funeral, so he decided to go, so that there might be someone to follow the old man to his last resting place. There was no one else there, and it was a wild, wet day. The funeral reached the cemetery, and at the gate, there was a soldier waiting. He was an officer, but on his raincoat, there there were no rank badges. The soldier came to the graveside for the ceremony. When it was over, he stepped forward, and before the uh, opened grave, swept his hand to a salute that might have been given to a king. H.L. Gee walked away with a soldier. And as they walked, the wind blew the soldier's raincoat open to reveal the shoulder badge of a brigadier. The brigadier said to Gee, you, probably, you will perhaps be wondering what I am doing here. Years ago, Thomas was my Sunday school teacher. I was a wild lad and a sore trial to him. He never knew what he did for me, but I owe everything I am or will be to old Thomas, and today I had to come to salute him at the end. Thomas did not know what he was doing. No preacher or teacher ever does. It is our task to sow the seed and to leave the rest to God. I pray that we have a heart of good soil, that God would create in us a good heart. That's a cue. There you go. faithful, and leave the results to God. Amen.
1: And now let us stand. And let us affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen, We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God.